for you youngins. Let's pray. For you youngins, this is a genuine varsity jacket. And not just any varsity jacket, it's an Alton High Redbirds varsity jacket. That's right, that's right, whoop, whoop, all right? And uh, I've got the decked out varsity jacket. Down here in the right-hand corner is 88. That's the year I graduated. I'm kind of excited that 30 years later I can actually kind of wear the jacket. That's kind of a good thing. And up here in the upper right-hand corner is my name, Heil. In case you're thinking of stealing my jacket, this is my jacket, all right? Down here in the lower left-hand corner is the little A. It's a JVA when you're playing on the JV. And then right up here is the big varsity letter. That's right, varsity. And on the back, of course, it says Redbirds. And you might be wondering, what sport did I play in high school to get a varsity jacket? Well, I played the manliest of sports, golf. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I know. I think uh, I was just about to go into my freshman year, and one of my friends said, are you going to join the uh, golf team? And I said, well, I hadn't really thought about it. And he said, well, if you show up, you're on the team. I said, I like that. And uh, back then, uh, Alton High School was next to Rock Springs Golf Course, and he said, we get to play uh, a round of golf, uh, nine holes, uh, Monday through Friday, every day for free from August through October. I was like, sign me up. And so I played all four years for the Alton High uh, golf team, and I was bad all four years. Well, you don't have to cheer that. Wow. All right. Way to be a loser. Thank you. And so you might be wondering how I got the varsity uh, letter, because after four years, the coach just felt bad for me. Uh, I'd shown up. He said, well, we're going to give him a letter for uh, his jacket. And back then, what was really popular is you would get stitched on the back of your jacket, which I have, uh, the sport that you were involved in. And of course, the guys would have like basketball or football or wrestling. And of course, I had golf on mine. And uh, never when I was walking by in high school with my golf varsity jacket did any of the girls say, man, did you see Jeff walk by with this golf varsity jacket? They never said that. They were like, did you just see what he walked by with? But it doesn't matter, I wore my golf varsity jacket with pride. Because if you've ever played golf, you know how hard the sport actually is. It's not hard to take a club and hit a golf ball, but it's hard to take a club and hit a golf ball in the right direction. I've been in the woods lots. Honestly, I gave my life to Jesus on the golf course. That's that's how I know, in the woods, trying to find one of my golf balls. And so uh, you try and, and play your best, but to really be good at golf, you have to hit thousands of bad shots. And you might wonder, why would you want to keep playing a game where you have to hit thousands of bad shots before you're really good? Because once in a while, in the middle of those thousands of bad shots, you have a good shot. Nay, you have a great shot. And so what happens is you're on the tee box, and you hit it, and the club face hits the ball just right, and it flies high and it flies far, and it flies straight, and your buddies say, great shot, and you're like, yes, I know. (laughs) And so, you want to have another great shot, and another great shot, but normally you have lots of bad shots in between. And what I'm talking about today is that we all want more. I'm going to take this jacket off because some of you are eyeing it with envy. Thank you, you cannot have it, all right? I'm going to leave it right up here. If it's gone afterwards, we'll come hunt you down. We all want more. 
Uh, maybe it's more great golf shots or more money or more time with our kids and the list goes on. I came across this survey talking about more. Uh, the sample size was kind of small, about some 700 people, uh, but the question asked was this. If you could say in one word what you'd want more of in life, what would that be? And here are the responses. Passion, stability, confidence, fulfillment, balance, joy, peace, freedom, money, and number one was happiness. Notice that nine of the ten are internal qualities and not about tangible things. In the chase for the bigger house, the better car, the coolest vacation site, the healthier body, and the well-funded retirement account, none of these things really speak to the true longings of our heart. God knows this because he created us, and so he offers more. More than just fire insurance, more than just avoiding hell, he offers not only eternal life, which is amazing in and of itself, but he offers abundant life. Not necessarily the abundant life in material things, but the abundant life in areas that really matter. And the one I want to focus on this morning is number four, peace. We've been talking about the names of God, and one of the names of God is Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. And here's what you need to understand about peace. Peace is not just the absence of trouble, it's trusting God in the midst of trouble. Everybody can say that life is great when things are humming along, and your own little world is mostly absent of trouble. The real test is how do you respond when your world is filled with trouble? Because that's when God wants to show you his peace. I remember when we moved here 10 years ago in January of 2008, I moved here for a, a different pastoral position. And that time in my life, my life, my wife was teaching back in Nebraska. And so we decided that I would move here with my two older boys, James and Jason. And she would stay back in Nebraska to finish the school year with, at that time, my two-month-old daughter, Julia. And it was very difficult being separated as a family for five months. But then finally May arrived, and, and she moved out here, and uh, she started looking for a teaching job in the area. And so she sent out her resumes, and she got an interview for a job at a school up north, about 45 minutes north of here. And she went to the interview, and it went really well. And the principal offered her the job. And so she called me on the way home. She said, I, I got offered the job, and I was so excited. Uh, you've probably been there before when you're looking for that job, and then you get the job, and you're like, man, God really came through for us. And so we were praising God. And about a week later, the principal called and said, now we have to get some paperwork in order, and we have to get your Illinois teaching certificate in order. She used to be a teacher in Illinois. Then she moved out to Nebraska and got her teaching certificate there, but she had to get it renewed here in Illinois. And this may come as a surprise to some of you, but how many of you know that the Illinois state government is not that efficient? <laughs> I know. I know. Because they're ranked. I mean, they're in the top 50. They're, they're like number 49. And so, you know, we're calling the Board of Education. Come on, we've got to get this processed. And the principal called back and said, I've got to have it by mid-July. And we just couldn't get it to happen. We couldn't get the certificate in time. And the principal called Jean back and said, I'm sorry, I had to offer the position to someone else. And I remember when she called me with that call. And we were devastated. And it's at that time that we were in trouble. And when you find yourself in trouble, normally you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to run away from God or you're going to run towards God. And in the midst of trouble, you're looking for his peace. But we decided to run towards God. We didn't know what was going on. 
But we did that. And so we ran towards God and we began to talk to him and say, God, man, we really, we need your help in this situation. And it just so happens in mid-July, my mom was having a garage sale. And I was helping her with a garage sale and so we're out there on that Saturday morning. And how many of you are garage sailors? Some of you? I'm not really much of a garage sailor. I don't get up, get it, getting up at like 6.30 in the morning to go buy other people's stuff, but some people love it. So we're out there selling our stuff and I'm talking to my mom and I say, you know, when Jean gets a job, I was kind of make, making a statement by faith, said so we're going to need a daycare provider for Julia. And it just so happened that the lady standing by the table kind of overheard our conversation and she said, well, I'm a daycare provider. I said, well, okay, give me your name, give me some references. And she did, and so I called the references, and they said, oh, this lady's great with our kids, and we just love her. And so I called her back, and I said, well, I don't need a daycare provider right now, but when my wife gets a job, we'll need one. And she said, well, what's she looking for? I said, well, she's a teacher. She said, okay. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. And my wife sent out some other resumes, and she had some job offers for some part-time jobs but we honestly felt like god was saying no don't take those part-time jobs in the first week of august i get a call back from the daycare provider she says you know i'm affiliated with st ambrose school i do some before care and after care stuff and i just found out that one of their teachers has taken ill and won't be able to teach this year this year they're having health issues and they've got an opening and so my wife sent her a resume met with the principal and everything worked out. She was offered the job and and she's at St. Ambrose to this day, 10 years later. Now, when I look back over that story, I'm amazed that God used a garage sale and someone who showed up to open all those doors. And while I can look back at it now and and smile about it, in July of 2008, I, I was struggling. I was like, where are you, God? But here's the thing I know, is that God knows my future and he knows your future and in the midst of trouble god wants you to be filled with his peace and here's how jesus put it peace i leave with you my peace i give to you not as the world gives to you do i give to you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid notice some things from this verse jesus gives us peace do you want peace in your life you're probably saying i sure do have you been asking him for it because he clearly gives it to us. Also not as the world gives. I might step on a few toes here. The world tries to give us peace through political means. The peace that Jesus gives is not found through political means. Some of us, and I struggle with this as well, are a lot more comfortable with the phrase, get out and vote, instead of staying and pray. I'm not against political action, but the peace this world needs will not come through politics, but Jesus. Let me ask you a challenging question. Do you spend as much time praying for God's peace as you do reading and posting political thoughts on social media? The verse goes on to say that the peace that God wants to fill you and me with allows our hearts not to be troubled or filled with fear. When you're filled with his peace, you are able to say, I don't understand what's going on or why this is happening, but God, he's going to get me through this. Jesus goes on to say in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world you will have tribulation. You don't have to look for trouble, it'll find you. But here's sometimes what we say. Why is this happening to me? Or God, this isn't fair. But tribulation and troubles are not selective. They choose everybody and they are not fair. It reminds me of the story of the patient and the doctor. The patient goes to the doctor and he says, you know doc, I haven't been feeling well for many months now, but I'm really reluctant to go to the doctor 
but finally I'm here. I just haven't been feeling well. And the doctor checks him out. It's like, I'm not sure what's wrong with you. We're going to do some blood tests, do some lab work, and we'll find out. And I want you to come back in uh, 30 days. Okay, I said, okay. So he comes back 30 days later, and he's like, Doc, I'm still feeling really bad. And the doc says, well, we ran all the tests, and I've got some bad news, and I've got some worse news. The patient's like, oh, man. So he says, okay, what's the bad news? The bad news is you've only got 30 days to live. What? I've only got 30 days to live. Well, what's worse than that? The doc says, I should have told you 30 days ago. (laughs) Some of you are like, that's not funny. Not funny. Don't talk about death. I hope you're not in that type of situation. But all of us have trouble coming our way. Whether you want to or not, trouble's coming your way. Sometimes trouble comes your way because you're making poor choices. And you're trying to blame everyone else. You're trying to blame your parents or your kids or your spouse or your work or your friends or extended family. You're blaming everyone else, but the truth of the matter is you're the one to blame for your problems. You've been making poor choices and trouble comes your way. God wants to help you through those troubles, but you've got to own up to it. Sometimes we face troubles because our loved ones make poor choices and we're connected to them. And because they're making poor choices, we get pulled in with them. And sometimes trouble comes our way when we're not doing anything wrong. You go to work, you're working hard, and then one day you get laid off. You know, it just happens. You try to eat right and exercise, you go to the doctor, you get a bad report. Trouble is going to come our way. And he lets us know that trouble is going to come our way, so we don't have to be surprised about it, but we can prepare for it. He wants to fill us with his peace when we are being faced with trouble. So what steps can you take to be filled with God's peace? Well, this morning, I want to share with you uh, three steps. Uh, The first step is this. It's an attitude of gratitude. Here's what it says in Philippians 4, verses 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now it says rejoice in the Lord, not in your troubles. I was a youth pastor in South Sicilia, Nebraska for seven years. And after being there about a year, uh, this lady came to church one Sunday morning, elderly lady. And I hadn't seen her before. And so I went out into the commons after church, I introduced myself, and I asked her how she was doing. And normally when you ask someone how they're doing, the first time you meet them, they normally say fine or good or okay. Sometimes they might say, oh, not that great, but not this lady. She went into her list of all the things that were wrong. First it was her health, then it was her husband, then it was the weather, and then it was just life in general. And it was those four things consistently, those were her complaints. And so, man, she just kind of unloads all this on me. And I'm like, wow, okay, and, and I'll be praying for you. And so I didn't see her every week. She didn't come to church every week. She came about once a month. And so, you know, I see her a month later. Hey, how's it going? I'm thinking it's going to be a little bit better. No, her health and her husband and the weather and life in general. She was always complaining. After a while, I tried to avoid her. I know that's not the right thing to say, but I did because she was a Hoover vacuum cleaner sucking the life and joy out of everyone who was in her orbit. Do you know someone like that? If you are thinking to yourself, I don't know anyone like that, you're probably the person. Just, uh, I'm just, I'm sorry, it's better I say it up here so I can run out the back door. All right, you're probably that person. And so after a while, my patience just wore thin with this lady. And so this is like after five years, Okay, she called one day the office during the week and she wanted to talk to the senior pastor and he wasn't there. And so the secretary sent her to me. I'm like, yay me. And uh, 
I got on the phone. I said, how's it going? And she goes into her list. And I said, wait, 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 wait. Before you talk about what you want to complain about, can we at least acknowledge it's a beautiful day out? It was one of those days where it was sunny, low 70s, a little bit of a breeze. It was a beautiful day. It was one of those days it was so nice out that people who don't like to go outside actually go outside. I said, can we at least acknowledge it's a beautiful day out? And in her deadpan, grovelly voice, she went, I guess. And then it was right into my health and my husband. It took everything to, for me to say, not say, the reason your husband doesn't want to be around you is because you're a Hoover vacuum cleaner of death. I, I didn't say that. They said, that's not very pastoral, I know, but, but that's where I was. It's not that you don't have troubles. Hopefully, you're not like this lady rejoicing in your troubles. She had decided to be defined by rejoicing in her troubles. Here's the thing. God knows you were going to have troubles. He tells us to rejoice anyway. In fact, when we rejoice in the Lord, it begins a domino effect of bringing His peace into our hearts, an attitude of gratitude. And what do you have to be thankful for? Well, let's just take a moment and deduce right now. Today, you're in the house of God, which means you have an opportunity either to hear about coming into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, or you've already made that decision. And if you had, it's the best decision you've ever made. You're part of a body of believers. If you're here this morning, you either have a mode of transportation or you've got a family or friend who brought you here. Everybody here this morning is dressed and we're all like, thank God that we've all got clothes on. Okay. Uh, and that, that, was, that got awkward for a moment. Let's move on. So you've got some clothes. You probably have a roof over your head, a, a house, an apartment, a condominium. condominium. You probably have a refrigerator, uh, cupboards with some food in them. You probably got a little bit of money in your bank account. You have a lot to be thankful for. And if you're caught up in your troubles, what I want you to do is starting today, starting tomorrow, is begin to start each day saying, God, what am I thankful for? God, I'm thankful for salvation. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for my family and my friends and this church and and, and my job. And, And you just go through the list. As you take more time to thank God, For what he has given you, your peace grows and your fears shrink. The second step is a posture of prayer. Attitude of gratitude, posture of prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. At first glance, this verse seems silly. Do not be anxious about anything. However, the verse doesn't stop there but in everything by prayer and supplication. God is saying, don't stop at the initial reaction of worry when troubles come your way, but move towards him in prayer. The word supplication means to ask for something earnestly or humbly. How many of you hate grocery shopping? Oh, we should go grocery shopping together. We could have a party. I I, I hate grocery shopping. My wife hates grocery shopping. Uh, Sometimes we like, you know, paper, rock, scissors to see who has to go grocery shopping. Sometimes we go together and it's kind of a drudgery. And so when we get the list together and I go grocery shopping, sometimes my wife will call me and say, hey, make sure you pick this up or pick that up. And it's like, I know we need these things at home, but there's, there's really no excitement in grocery shopping. It's just, uh. However, Christmas shopping can be kind of fun. You go Christmas shopping and you're thinking about getting that one gift for that special someone and seeing their face when they open the gift. And if you've got young ones, you know how much they love Christmas shopping. 
It, it comes November 1st, and they're like, uh, Mom, Dad, you know what day it is? And you're like, yeah, it's November 1st. And they're like, that's right, 55 days until Christmas. You better get going, you know what I'm saying? There's that one gift that I want that will change my life forever. You notice how there's always that one gift that's going to change their life forever? And then when you get them that one gift, two weeks later it's in the closet after Christmas. You're like, what's going on? But anyway, every day they're hounding you. I got to have this gift. I want this gift. I went to Amazon.com and I loaded the gift in the cart and I saved it. All you got to do there is go to Amazon.com and click the site and, and we'll, we'll send it to us and I can help you wrap the present for me on Christmas. You know, they get so excited and there's a passion. And I'm not suggesting that God is some Santa Claus in the sky, but when you approach God in prayer and supplication, do you approach Him with the grocery list mentality? Hey, God. You know, I need a few things. If you could, you know, help me out, I would appreciate it. And I really like the double stuff Oreo cookies. Could you help me out, God? You know, is, is that kind of your mentality? Or do you go to God with a supplication, an earnestness, a humility, a passion, a desperation? Like it's Christmas shopping. God, I've got to have this. I've got to have this. I've got to have this. God, for the next 55 days, day in and day out, I'm going to seek you and go after you because I need you to move in my life. Is it any wonder that sometimes we don't have the peace of God because we approach our prayer life like a grocery list instead of Christmas list and really going after it? Notice what happens here. And when you do this with thanksgiving, an attitude of gratitude, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Now, I don't have a problem with that phrase. Some people are like, I really have to fully understand God before I'll trust him. I'm like, really? Because you don't fully understand how your car works and you trust it to drive you to work. You don't fully understand how your computer works, except Tom. And, uh, and you, you, know, you get on it every day. How many things do you have in your house that if I asked you to give a detailed description of how it's work, you'd just shrug your shoulders and go, I don't know. I just, you know, I got the, the cured coffee maker. I push the button and coffee comes out. It's amazing. You know, you don't have to explain it. So when I read this, I don't have to understand everything about God. I just say, you know what? When I go after God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, he begins to give me a peace that passes all understanding. I can't comprehend it with my mind, but it begins to guard my heart and guard my mind so that when troubles come my way and troubles are coming your way because Jesus told us troubles were coming our way, you don't have to freak out and like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Be like, even in the midst of this trouble, I'm going to have God's peace because I've been asking for God's peace because I've had a posture of prayer. And the last step is to train your brain to train your brain finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there's if there is any excellence if there is anything worthy of praise think about these things what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the god of peace will be with you when do you have to drain something in the kitchen you take out the colander to drain the liquid off you know like if you're making spaghetti god wants you to do the same thing with your thought life run it through the filter and this takes effort it's going to take work on your part it's not that the holy spirit won't help you but it's going to take work and effort on your part as i was uh, thinking about this kind of a a challenge to you i I want you this week just pick one day now you can't control uh, what conversations you have with other people but try to do this try to go through a whole day and not hear any profanity or vulgarity on tv or in the movies or on the radio, or on social media. And if you're thinking about that, you're like, well, I'd probably have to turn most or all that stuff off. Exactly. Because we're bombarded all the time with junk. 
just coming into our thought life. And as we're being bombarded all the time with this junk, God is saying, you've got to filter it out. You've got to run it through the filter. You've got to protect yourself because you know garbage in, garbage out. Sometimes we get depressed and, and down on ourselves because all the information coming in is depressing and cynical and critical. So we have to guard our thought life. We have to train our brain. I was thinking about training, and a month ago I was watching the FIFA World Cup in Russia. And uh, these guys are just amazing. I, I'd watch one guy dribble down the field, and as he got close to the goal, he'd have one defender, then two defenders, then three defenders trying to steal the ball from him. And he would do some dribble move that I can't even describe to you, and he'd be by all three guys. And I'd be like, how does he do that? I watched another guy. He, he got uh, a penalty outside the penalty box, so it was a free kick, and the referee drew a little line in the sand, then do another little line, and the defenders kind of formed a wall to try to block it. And, and he kicked the ball, and he arced it, around the wall into the right-hand top corner of the goal. It was the most amazing shot I'd ever seen. There's no way the goalie could have even saved it. I was like, how, how do these guys do that? Because they've spent hours and days and weeks of practice and practice and practice to become the best. I'm not saying you need to be a great World Cup soccer player. What I'm saying is, are you trying to be the best Christian that you can be? Are you working at it? Are you trying to train your brain? And when you first look at this list and this filter, it might seem a bit overwhelming. I know when I, I do, it seems overwhelming. Most of you probably drove here this morning and you did not think anything about driving here. You just got in your car, you put your seatbelt on, and boom, you drove. You didn't even think about it. But you remember that first time when you're 15 years old and you get in the car with your parents? And they're like, okay, adjust the seat, put on the seatbelt. You got the rear view mirror, the side view mirrors, hands at 10 and 2. You got the gas pedal, the brake pedal, and look over your shoulder when you're backing out. And you're like, what's going on? There's just so much information coming at you. You take it one step at a time. And when you begin to train your brain, you've got to take this filter one step at a time. So start with what is true. What is true? And we find out what's true because truth is found in God's Word. See, God wants you to be in His Word so you can compare what the Bible says about you compared to what the world says about you. And when you find what the world says about you doesn't line up with God's Word, you reject that. It goes through the filter. Say, no, this isn't what God says about me. Because you know there's a lot of negative talk coming our way and some of us really struggle with negative self-talk. Some of us, our own worst enemy is us. I'm a loser, I'm a failure, I can never get it right. That's not what the Bible says about us. It says in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's all kinds of comments that God says, you can do this in me. And we have to filter it out. We have to begin to train our brain. And here's the thing. The only way you can do that is if you're in God's word on a daily basis. If the only time you're in God's Word on Sunday morning, you're not going to make it. Let me describe it to you this way. Imagine I said to you, after church today, I want you to go to your favorite buffet and I want you to gorge yourself. Not just eat two or three plates of food, I want you to eat six or seven plates of food. I mean, I want you to walk out of the restaurant almost sick and have to kind of waddle your way to the car. And as you get in, you roll in and you roll out at home. And then... You're like, I'm so full, I don't want to have anything for dinner. But I say to you, the next time you get to eat is next Sunday after church. You'd say, you're crazy. I can't go seven days without food. Exactly. If you can't go seven days without food physically, why are you trying to go seven days without food spiritually? Doesn't make sense. And you're wondering, why am I not living the overcoming life that God wants me to have? Because you're trying to find him one day a week instead of seven days a week. You've got to be feeding yourself every day. You've got to be in God's word. You've got to be training your brain to find out what God is saying about you and he's saying about himself. So you've got to train your brain. Because it helps you find out the truth 
And as you begin to look for what is true, you'll notice the Holy Spirit will begin to work with you on this. As you begin to hear false information, you'll find the Holy Spirit will tap on your shoulder, tap on your conscience. He'll give you a little nudge, say, you need to avoid this. This isn't true. This doesn't line up. And then you look at the next thing. I'm not going to go through all of them, but what is honorable? You know, some things are true, but they're not honorable. Have you ever been following a conversation on Facebook and someone makes a comment on Facebook and you're like, oh, it's on now. And you've got your Facebook, you know, you guys can do two thumbs. I'm bad. I can only do one thumb or one finger, but you're ready for that. And just as you're about to push send, the Holy Spirit's going, no, don't do it. It might be true, but it's not honorable. And so you're like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Does it line up? You've got to begin to train your brain. A few uh, months ago, I was at my chiropractor's, and he was telling me about a patient that came in one day with kind of the wrong information. This information, uh, the patient came in and said, uh, Doc, I was uh, looking at WebMD. And there's nothing wrong with WebMD, but you understand that WebMD has to give you all the information possible so it's not a lawsuit. So you, what starts out as a mosquito bite ends up being an alien virus from Mars. You know, that's how it is. That's how it always works. And so he comes in, he's like, Doc, I've, I've looked at my symptoms and... Um, I've ruled out the bubonic plague. And my chiropractor, he just laughed. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the guy was serious. He's like, what are you laughing for? I've ruled it out. And after he left, he was like, I thought we ruled out the bubonic plague like in the 16th century. See what happens? The world feeds us information. And if we're not training our brain, we latch onto that stuff and we begin to be filled with worry and anxiety and fear instead of the peace that God wants to give us. As we begin to have an attitude of gratitude, a posture of prayer, as we train our brain, God can move you into a place of perfect peace. That may not sound possible, but here's what it says in Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. See what happens? The more time that you focus on him and keep your mind stayed on him, he keeps you in a place of peace. I want you to remember this final thought that peace is not just the absence of trouble, it's trusting God in the midst of trouble. So maybe this morning you find yourself in trouble. Something's going on. In a moment, the band's gonna come out and play a song called Reckless Love. And it talks about how far Jesus will go to connect with you and me. And you can stay seated for the song, but as they come out and play this song, I just want you to think about, man, I'm struggling with something. I'm I'm troubled with something. I'm just going to go before the Lord right now and give it to him. And of course, we're going to have our prayer teams down here after the song uh, so you can come to them. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your amazing love. I want to thank you that you're Jehovah Shalom. You're our peace, uh, Father God. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to start to have an attitude of gratitude, Father God. You'd help us to be thankful. God, I pray that you'd move us to a posture of prayer, of prayer and supplication, of earnestly seeking you. And God, you would help us to begin to train our brain to filter out the things of this world that are lies and only leave your truth left behind. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.